Good morning. How are you? It's such a pleasure to be here, as it always is to be in Fort Collins. I always ask myself when I visit here, uh, why am I not living in Fort Collins? Um, there are many reasons, but believe me, <laughs> given the choice, I, you would be right near the top of my list. Uh, if you could put the first slide up, please, which is my family. I would like to uh, just say that um, my wife, Tyra, would love to be here. Uh, she's looking forward to it. She, every time uh, that I come, she comes with me. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, she fell and uh, broke both her legs. And so um, then she developed a blood clot. Uh, and then she also had COVID in the meantime because she was not busy enough, I guess. Um, and so right now, she can't walk. Um, she needs help doing everything. She can only get around by wheelchair. Uh, which I usually operate, and I say that it's the first time in our marriage I get to push her around and talk behind her back. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of where we are. But uh, she really did want to be here, but uh, because of the blood clot primarily, uh, she could not travel to be here. Um, I would introduce the rest of them, but if they wanted to be introduced, they should have been here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do want to thank Pastor Darry and Bonnie for uh, opening up this pulpit. Uh, it's a tremendous responsibility, a solemn responsibility, and I don't take it lightly or for granted. So I just want to let you know that it is a, an awesome responsibility, and I'm very grateful for it. And I also want to thank Pastor Carrie and the entire missions team for making us feel so welcome and doing such a great job in that. Uh, and of course, I want to thank you, because every time I come here, I know I'm part of your family. And that means a lot. It means a lot. So this morning, what I want to do is speak to you briefly about the fundamental role the Bible plays in both the Great Commission and in the persecuted church. And I'm going to do that uh, by talking to you about the nation of Armenia, where uh, we're still doing work, including the Bible Translation Project, um, because both of the roles that I'm going to talk to you about have converged in the nation of Armenia, um, and I'll tell you why. So if you could go to the first slide, please. What is the Great Commission? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, we often learn or, try or understand that the Great Commission is to go. But the reality is when you read the Great Commission, it is not to go. It is to make disciples but you have to go to make disciples. But the actual Great Commission is make disciples and teach people what I have taught you. Um, and disciple-making is not an easy process, not a simple process. It's a never-ending process. But we can come up with a simple definition of what a disciple is. If you could go to the next slide, please. Thank you. A disciple is a Christ follower. Oh, excuse me. A Christ follower who learns to do what the master does. Okay? But the foundation that underlays the entire discipleship process is the Bible. If you uh, go to the next slide, please. Jesus says to his disciples, to the Jews who believed in him, yes, his disciples, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you could go to the next slide, please. He also says, if anyone loves me, he will follow my word. The one who does not love me does not follow my words. 
And although the most familiar version of the Great Commission is in uh, Matthew, that's the one we use the most, the reality is that each of the four Gospels contains the Great Commission. In each of them, Jesus tells us about the Great Commission. And so I want to talk to you about the Great Commission in Luke, which is perhaps the most relevant to the context that we're talking about this morning. If you could go to the next slide, and actually the one after that, if you don't mind. Uh, yep. So I'm not going to read this to you because your eyes will glaze over and you'll wish you never came. Uh, and th that's later in the service. So uh, we, uh, uh, but I'll tell you what it says. If you want to read it, read, read it, please. But this is what it says. I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. My suffering, crucifixion, and resurrection provide repentance and forgiveness of sin, which will be proclaimed to all nations. You are witnesses of all these things, and after you've received power from the Holy Spirit, you will bear witness. That's what it says. But note, before you can do any of those things, Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures which makes us understand even better that we cannot fulfill the Great Commission if we don't understand the Scriptures. And we can't understand the Scriptures if we don't have the Scriptures. The second vital purpose of the Bible is to strengthen, encourage, and sustain those in the persecuted church. Strengthen, encourage, and sustain those in the persecuted church. Which is why I come back to Armenia, where again, these two fundamental roles of the Bible have converged. If you could put the first slide up, please. Uh, the next slide, rather. So that's Armenia, that little yellow spot, very bad neighborhood, as you can tell. Right? Property values are not high in this neighborhood. Um, now, you would be forgiven for thinking, based upon that map, that Armenia is a Muslim nation. But that would not be correct. Uh, because you see, in the year 301, Armenia became the first country in the world to accept Christianity as its official state religion. That was about 11 years before the Roman Empire uh, made uh, Christianity acceptable in the Roman Empire. Uh, they had been walking in darkness, and then they came to see the light. But immediately upon that decision, Armenia was dragged into a different kind of darkness. Because of that location, because of its weakness, Armenia was always subjugated and persecuted and its country invaded by a never-ending series of more powerful and hostile neighbors. But that trend, that persecution intensified when Armenia made the decision to be a, a Christian nation in a non-Christian part of the world. First, Armenia became the target of its surrounding neighbors that were pagans. And eventually those pagans were replaced by Muslims who continued the persecution of the Armenians because they still dared to be a Christian nation in a non-Christian part of the world. And the most violent expression of this persecution began in 1915 uh, the Armenian Genocide, where a million and a half Armenians, about two-thirds of the population at the time, uh, were killed, massacred by the Muslim Ottoman Turks uh, in whose empire the Armenians had the misfortune to live. Then, after World War I ended and uh, the Ottoman Empire was carved up, what was left of Armenia uh, was taken into, absorbed by the Soviet Union, 
and ended up as the smallest of the 15 socialist, Soviet socialist republics. During the 70 years of communist rule, members of every Christian denomination in Armenia, including the Young Pentecostal Church and their leaders, were imprisoned, tortured, murdered, oppressed, their property seized, their churches taken, closed, destroyed, sometimes converted into animal feed barns or other things, and their literature, especially the Bible, banned. And I'll tell you, the Soviet government probably did more in 70 years to persecute the Armenian church and to suppress the Bible than any other previous persecutor. You see, in the past, all persecutions, all attacks, all killings were done to destroy the Armenian people physically, to destroy their existence because land was wanted or power was wanted. But the Soviets had a completely different agenda. Their purpose, which was a single purpose, was to destroy the Christian faith in the nation of Armenia and in every other Soviet republic. They understood, the Soviets understood the importance of the Bible to the survival and growth of the church, and they focused a special amount of energy to suppress and destroy the Bible. You know, Pastor Carey made mention of it, but it's true. I'm embarrassed to think about how many Bibles I have sitting on my bookshelf at home. Um, each of us has so many. But we don't have any understanding of what it's like not to have that access. Right now, the Armenian Pentecostal Church is two Pentecostal unions, each of which is led uh, by pastors who are men in their 60s uh, who grew up in these dark Soviet days. And I've over the years sat and talked to them about the, some of those times. One of these leaders told me that during the Soviet era, if you were to gather as a Christian group, as a church, uh, you, you were liable to be arrested, uh, disappeared, um, you, you name it, lose your job, lose privileges. So what they used to do is gather in cemeteries because they would be groups. And then if the KGB shows up, they would say, oh, we're just here visiting graves. But an integral part of those gatherings in the cemeteries was Bible sharing. What do I mean by that? Well, number one, Bibles were scarce. Number two, it was dangerous to own a Bible. So amongst the entire church, and we're talking a couple of thousand people here, there was one Bible. And they'd ripped it up into portions by book. And some books, Jeremiah, Book of Psalms, longer books, maybe were divided even further into smaller sections. And when you showed up to service, if it was your turn you got to have a part of the Bible for a week. And then after that week was over, at the next service, you'd have to give it back. And if you were, again, in, the, in line, you'd get another part. Or maybe you'd have to wait a couple of months to get another part because there's so many people in the church. The other pastor uh, who leads the other Pentecostal union told me, well, he's a, he's a genius. He's a... PhD level mathematician physicist. But when he wrote his dissertation in the Soviet era to get his PhD, the authorities came to him at the end and said, we're not allowing you to receive a PhD unless you renounce your Christian faith. We're not letting you do it, which he didn't do. 
And so they took his dissertation, they gave it to another man who was a Communist Party member, and that man received the PhD instead. But because this leader was a, a genius, is a genius, they still wanted to use him, so he was employed at this scientific institute in the capital city, Yerevan. And he told me that every day he would sit in his lunch break and read the Bible. That's what he did at lunch. And his colleagues, who were Communist Party members, atheists, cynics, would mock him. They would come to him every now and again and say, what are you, some kind of idiot? You were reading this book, you read the book yesterday and the day before that. Don't you understand what's in it? Why do you have to keep reading it? Do you want us to explain it to you? And he would look at them and say, I noticed that you're eating for lunch again today. I see you're eating bread. What are you, some kind of savage? Are you an animal? You have to eat again? You just ate yesterday. And then he would say, just like you need that bread to survive, this is my bread that I need to survive every day. And that pastor, who's almost 70 now, he tells his church and the people who are part of his union, don't ever, ever sit down at table to eat on any day when you haven't already read your Bible. The Bible is very important in Armenia historically. Uh, the name for Bible in Armenian, you know, in your Bible it may say on the front, Holy Bible, right? In, in Armenia, what's printed, because it's the word for Bible, is Astvatsa Shunch, God's breath. That's how they view the Bible. It's God's breath. And through all these persecutions, through all these persecutions, the Armenians clung to their Christian faith. You know, God's Word leaves us with no doubt, no doubt, that each of us within the church has a unique role to play in God's master plan of salvation. And God requires from us that we faithfully adhere to that plan, that we follow His calling, even if we end up never seeing the results of our faithfulness. That's why the Bible repeatedly emphasizes faithfulness as being important and never, never tells us that we need to be successful because our focus should be on faithfully serving God and then trusting Him to give the increase. And nowhere is that truth more evident than in the history of the Armenian people because as you've heard, for centuries, generation after generation, they saw nothing but misery and death and destruction from being Christian. They saw no purpose. They saw no benefit. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if many of them along the way didn't say, why, why, why are we Christians? What's the point? What are we getting from this faithfulness? But in spite of any doubts they may have had, in spite of any suffering that they endured, they knew one thing. They had been called to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. And they remained unwaveringly true to this calling. And as the writer of the book of Hebrews says, they died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. And because of that un dying faithfulness to Christ, 
after 1,700 years of seemingly purposeless, purposeless suffering for the Christian faith, the Armenians today find themselves in a unique location. If you could go to the next slide, please as a lighthouse for Christ in the Sea of Islam. Here's that bad neighborhood that we talked about earlier with a couple of numbers thrown on there. Those numbers represent the, no, uh, the percentage of Muslims in each country that is in that bad neighborhood. And you'll see the countries that touch Armenia, Turkey, 98% Muslim, Iran, 99% Muslim, Azerbaijan, 99% Muslim. Even Georgia, the fourth country to the north, is 10% Muslim, but that's about a half a million people. So between those four countries, we're talking about 150 million Muslims surrounding this tiny country, which is about the size of the state of Maryland, if that puts it in perspective for you. And what is Armenia? Less than 0.1% Muslim. Fewer than 3,000 Muslims in a country of 3 million people a lighthouse for Christ in a sea of Islam. And the church in Armenia believes it is no coincidence, no accident that God has preserved them as a lighthouse for Christ in a sea of Islam. And they're secure in the knowledge that God's always had a special purpose for the Armenian nation, that they have been preserved and prepared for that purpose, which is to be the carriers of the sacred gospel message to the lost who surround them. There are many signs and visions and confirmations to people throughout the Armenian church over the centuries and even continuing today that confirm this understanding of the role of Armenia in these last days. In 2004, the wife of one of the most respected and senior pastors in Armenia uh, had a vision. And at the time, she wrote down the vision um, and what she had seen and what she had understood from it. And she graciously has given me permission to share it with people. This is what her notes say. When I was praying for Armenia, I had a vision. Armenia, represented by a lion, was standing on a high and brilliantly lit mountain surrounded by darkness. Next to the lion was a cage with its door open. I understood that the lion had just come out of the cage and that the Lord was preparing the lion for an important task. The Lord said, Armenia is my lion, and I have let him out of his cage to train him and to send him to hunt. See how sharp his claws are and how ready they are to tear into his prey. See how sharp his eyes are and how he can see his prey from afar. His heart is full of courage, and he fears nothing. When I send him to hunt, no obstacle will stand in his way. Distance is nothing for him. I myself have trained him, and he is already preparing to leap into the midst of the darkness. And then she said that God revealed to her, and she understood that God had kept Armenia in the cage throughout the centuries, not to confine it, but to protect it until the time for its task had come. Everything that we or the Pentecostal church in Armenia does, everything that we've ever done, has a single purpose. To grow and equip that Armenian Pentecostal church, to raise up and train disciples, leaders, church planters, and missionaries 
to fulfill the calling that God has placed upon the nation. But there's one last step before that vision can be realized. In 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed, all these Christians that were in Armenia had been sustained through those dark days by the fact that they had access to the Bible, even if it was periodic and limited access. The Bible kept the church alive and passionate. And that passion translated into revival when the Soviet Union fell in 1991. But unfortunately, so at the time, the church in Armenia, the Pentecostal church, was about 5,000 members. Today, it's about, actually, within 20 years, it was about 150,000. Today, it's probably closer to 200 or more. But the problem is, because of the persecution, because of the lack of theological background, because of the lack of access of the Bible to everyone, during the revival, many people were susceptible to false teachings, to false doctrines, and to cults. And the Armenian church leaders have told me that they lost a lot of people. And they're desperate not to have that happen again. And so the first thing they wanted to do was set up a Bible university, which we had the privilege of doing. Actually, you had the privilege of doing. Uh, Timberline, uh, you here in Fort Collins, whether you know it or not, you should know it, you started a Bible school in Armenia that gave bachelor's degrees, that gives bachelor's degrees. We had the privilege of being your representatives on the ground who could see it, but you did it. You and churches like yours. And today we have hundreds of graduates. Every year we have more people enrolling. Um, it's been going since 2014. But the second step is the Armenian Pentecostal church leaders know that to fulfill their calling of growing and expanding the church, and being uh, effective missionaries, they need to have a faithful translation of the Bible because the goal is not to grow an unhealthy church that's led astray and that will lead others astray. You know, for centuries, the Armenians uh, had a Bible translation that was known and renowned as one of the finest, richest, purest in the entire world. And um, The last 200 years have been different. For the last 200 years, because of the persecutions we talked about, um, the Armenians have not had access to a good Bible. In fact, the Bible they've had for the last 200 years that about 90% of the people use is terrible. Why is it terrible? It has verses missing, verses out of place, uh, the grammar is bad, the language is bad. It's just an awful, awful book, right? And one of the leaders of the church that I, that I spoke about gave me a copy of the Bible one day and I was in his office and he asked me to take a look at a particular passage and then he says, I want you to explain that passage to me. And I said, well, Pastor, I, you know, I wish I could. I said, my army is not great. I taught myself how to read and write. I said, but even with my limited Armenian, I have no idea what this says. And he said, well, I don't either. He goes, I have no, I no idea what it's trying to say because uh, it's certainly not in any Armenian I understand. So that's where they are. So in 2018, Assemblies of God World Missions began working to uh, have a faithful, updated version of the Bible 
because the Armenian church leaders want to preach and teach using a Bible that not only they can understand, but that any person, even the most remote of villages in Armenia, can pick up and understand it in his or her own language. A Bible that will protect the growing church from being led astray by false doctrines. A Bible that will sustain them in the dark days that Armenia still experiences because of economic problems and war. The advantage of being part of the persecuted church also is that as they go as missionaries, Armenians will be used to persecution. So the Armenian Bible Project uh, completed the New Testament in 2022. Here it is. You, you, you did this. Again, you did this from Fort Collins and from the other campuses, right? We, I just get to, to hold it. You can come after the service, and I'll let you hold it. <laughs> um, and I'm happy to report to you that the Old Testament translation was completed about a couple of months ago. But to finish the editing, theological review, formatting, printing process is going to take about another $300,000. Now, I want to encourage you because... My experience in missions has shown me that I don't, I'm not worried about the money. It, it'll show up. The money will come. God will provide. So I don't lose any sleep over that. The surprise is going to be where it comes from and when. But I trust God for that. And I just pray that He will lead people to be part of this huge kingdom work. You know, even though we'll never know the true effects of this work on this side of eternity, we can know for certain, we can be sure that the effects will be powerful because I am convinced, the Armenian Pentecostal Church is convinced, many others are convinced that God chose Armenia to proclaim in these last days the gospel and the name of Jesus. You know, God's given us a great privilege in these last days, us, us as a Christian church, of being the people entrusted with the responsibility of being the ministers of reconciliation, of being the ambassadors for Christ. But part of that privilege is that we can be the ones who take that final step in Armenia's long and sometimes terrible journey of faith. We can put the hands of the Bible in, in, in the we can put the Bible in the hands of the Armenian church and fling open the door of that cage to unleash and send forth that lion to leap into the darkness so that those who are lost will be found. If you'd allow me, I'd like to close in prayer. Lord God, we want to come before you and thank you. We want to thank you first, God, for revealing yourself to us, for giving us the knowledge of your grace, and for making us the beneficiaries of that grace. Lord, at this time, we ask you to be with the persecuted church in all parts of the world, Lord, whether in Africa, in Europe, in North America, in Latin America, Lord God, in Asia, wherever it is, Lord, we ask you to sustain and strengthen that persecuted church through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit comforts them in times of turmoil and strengthens them in times of weakness. Put a hedge of protection around their minds, their spirits, their bodies. 
and bless them in their work. Lord, we ask you to provide access to the gospel to every people group in every part of the world. Finally, Lord, I ask you to bless Timberline, which functions as a lighthouse in its community, Lord God. I ask you to bless its leaders, the people who attend here, Lord. Let everybody who walks in these doors feel your presence and feel your joy. Protect them all, Lord. Bless those who are here, those who could not be here. And we dedicate not only this day, but the remainder of our lives to you and to your service. Amen. Um, so you heard Pastor Carey talk about the movie Sabina. I can tell you it's a fantastic movie. I encourage you to come see it. You will not be disappointed. And plus, I'll get to see you again. That's going to be great for me. I'd love to see you. But I want, we're going to show a short trailer of that movie just so that you can uh, have a little bit more of a teaser for you. Thank you. I want the same things every girl wants. And then a little bit more. I want you to meet some more. Oh. Is every bit as ambitious as you? <laughs> Who's this? She is my niece, Sabina Oster. My mother is nagging me to get married. She's even picked out a girl. That sounds very nice for you. And what do you think? I think my mother should ask me that question. Your mother's gonna kill me. came looking for you today. I'm not hiding. Maybe you should. Since uh, Isabina von Band? We can get you to the border if we leave now. You know this is ridiculous. I'm collecting all the verses in the Bible that tell us not to be afraid. I think I might need to lean on all of them. If we stay... I'll follow the others into prison. It will be the end of our lives together. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We believe this or we don't. I think we have to stay. We have a job to do. Wow. I hope you'll be here and I hope we have popcorn. What's a movie without popcorn, right? Oh man, you guys, thank you for being here. Thank you for opening your heart to a weekend that is committed to looking at the world in the way that we do at Timberline so often. Really appreciate it. Let's thank Shahan one more time. He just did a great job. Powerful message. We're going we're gonna to wrap up today by receiving an offering. About four times a year we take uh, a, an offering where we actually pass the plate. And it's always to give away. We don't keep any of these offerings. Timberline Church is a funnel. And you need to know that. And you, you heard him say back in 2014 when that Bible school started, it was offerings from you that gave the money to allow that to happen. 
And I just thank God for your vision. Sometimes it's really, you know, it's sexy to give to something that you can see and feel, and it's like, wow, I want to make that happen. But man, when I saw him hold up that New Testament last night and realize I was a part of that. So we're going to receive an offering to finish the Old Testament, get it printed, and then four other initiatives that are local with uh, uh, missions and outreach and feeding and making a difference. So this offering in its entirety is going to go for the mission of reaching people with the love of Jesus Christ. So give what you want. We say it often. We don't do guilt giving at Timberline. Don't give out of guilt. Uh, you'll resent it later. We don't want that. Give with joy and give because you want to. I, I genuinely mean that. But give whatever God puts in your heart. And it's not limited to just this weekend. If you want to give over the next two or three weeks, just write Missions Weekend on your check and we'll receive it. Ushers, come if you would. And uh, let's receive that offering. As they pass the plate past your row, feel free to stand after that. And we'll sing this song together. Then we'll get out of here. God bless you. Sing it. Just tell this worship team we appreciate them. That's that's so good, man. A lot. Wow. So fun to have you here today, you guys. Thank you for being people that live beyond yourselves and reaching the world. I mean that. I'm sobered by it. It's a big thing. It's why churches exist. And so often we get caught up in the selfism of what does it do for me. But today, you have gone beyond yourself and you've looked into the world. And that makes God smile. And so thank you for being that kind of a people. 
Let Love Live. Lots of tables out there. Uh, go visit, hang out. Hopefully, you, if you can get back tonight, great. If not, we understand. But let love live. Say it with me. Let love live. Thank you for being Timberline. God, God bless you. Love you.